we're live. I could keep my eyes still. I just couldn't stop giggling like, like a child. Are you are you good at a uh, staring contests? Oh, you froze. I froze. We all froze. Is it okay? Well, now okay. Now we were playing earlier, but I think Richard is actually frozen this time. I don't know who's actually frozen. I could be the frozen one. He could be the frozen one. He's actually frozen. Richard, can you see me? Can you hear me? Okay. Did you guys like how last time I froze in the middle of the cafe? <laughs> that shit was pretty funny, man. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, Richard, uh, you're, you, you need to exit and come back, man. Anyways, I'm just going to throw them out the stream. Guys, check out my new room. Do you enjoy it? I'm in 2077 now when everything is a technological dystopian nightmare, but at least it's really bright and it's really pretty. I hope you guys enjoy my new room because I sure do. Fall is coming. Summer is ending. I can't go outside very much. So the least I can do is just upgrade my spot in the time space continuum. You know what I mean? Richard, Richard, Richard. How's everybody doing today? Welcome to Tentacle Croissant. Today we're going to be talking about a subject. If you guys don't know, me and Richard usually determine the subject off on a whim within the morning or maybe even a few hours before the actual stream. I don't really know. If you guys are curious on how we end up discussing certain issues and subjects and stuff like that, we, we actually have no procedure at all. We are terrible with scripts. We improvise practically everything. And then when someone leads and gives you an outline, I get crazy. Are you guys script people or improvisers? Pierre always saves these moments. Awesome. Dude, I was thinking, if I didn't have the background of being an obnoxious, annoying, pretentious talk show host, how would you fill in these silences? Two gods talking about gods. That's right, shark boy. How's everybody feeling today? What is the last thing that you've done? Or let, let alone, what is the last thing that you have eaten? I don't know why Richard is taking so long to come back in, but I'm going to do my best to fill in the space. No, shit was thinking this shit this morning. Audio is not syncing with the video. Yeah, because um, I, I think the fact that I am in 2077 right now is making it a little more difficult to... Uh, oh, you're back. I do apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I'm having major technical issues. It's okay. Are you are you back for show now? I hope so. My laptop just told me to go fuck myself. It was very aggressive about it as well. Yeah, apparently my audio isn't syncing with my mouth either, and that's quite unfortunate. There's not much I can do about that either. Hmm. How is everyone? Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Today... I, the thing is, I don't think we even agreed on the subject. You just put that as a title, and I'm like, okay, that sounds good. So we're going to be talking I about... I thought you were going to change it. No, I just... Because you know, originally you uploaded it as, like, Tentacle Croissant oh. with a date, and then I just put some random thing, and then you changed it to gods, and I like that subject. We can talk about gods. It's interesting that the, um, the TV show American Gods uh, came out. I think it's through Amazon. Um 
it's actually somewhat better than the book. I, I got through the book. The book's weird and I don't know, it doesn't really go anywhere. But for people who don't know, the idea of American gods is that it's a it's like a last stand amongst the dying gods of America. Um, they're fighting for people's attention and they all they will eventually, of course, die off because nobody has time for them. It's interesting that that story is being told now because we are in a post-God's age. But the question is, do we need new ones? Do we need to create new ones? Or do we just say, no, the time for God's has passed? To go back in the synopsis of the show, so are these like humanoid gods that mm. are attention neglected and they're trying mm. their best to get people to believe in them again? Yeah, they still have some of their powers, um, but their powers are waning. So uh, Wotan is there and um, there's a, there's an African god who's there. And, you know, they still have a degree of power, but the power that they have is dependent on people's attention. So uh, media, Medea, is a powerful god because everybody's giving their attention to the media. New technology is a powerful god. Money is a powerful god because people give attention to that. Um, and they battle and, you know, there is drama and so on. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the story itself is, is okay. The TV show is odd, uh, but visually a lot of fun. You, pro you probably really like it. It's kind of bizarre. Um, but it's, a, it's an interesting story to tell now. I've tried to recruit gods. I can't do it. What do you mean by recruit? In, in your own I've life? To, yeah, I've tried to choose um, to choose new gods and go, okay, I'll go with this god, I'll go with that god. Um, but without the naivety of actually believing for real, for real, that that god could be having an influence in my life, it just, it just doesn't work. So we have no naivety. We only have cynicism because we know that it's not real. Like these are archetypes or they represent different elements of your personality or they represent parts of the world. And you can't really have them like that. They don't work like that. They can only work if they are to some extent. You need to have a little bit of faith that they could be actual beings. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was just actually speaking to a friend about this particular subject, the loss of religion and God. And I think in... The new world, the technologically integrated 2020 westernized first world or whatever, we have immediately and completely changed our lexicon and vocabulary when it comes to defining whatever a god or a religious experience might be. Mm. And I think you are right, especially if you look at gods in a literal physical sense. But do you perhaps it's do you think that perhaps it's possible? to integrate the idea conceptually of a god in the world that we live in now metaphysically not necessarily like an external actual being but rather just a, a philosophical concept that's not really god yes yes you can um but it's not really god that's like being you know uh, a western buddhist you know it's like okay. a californian buddhist it's not not really it's kind of God. It's God light, isn't it? Yeah. So do you, so you, you, what you're saying, what you're saying is, do you believe that the true essence of a God has to be the external creator? 
it's not a God otherwise. Um, if there's no, if there's no naive faith in the higher power of the God or the goddess, it's not really a God. It's only a God in the sense that like Freud is a God or Nietzsche is a God or Terence McKenna is a God. I, I like the concept. I like the idea, but it's not natural for me to fall down and hurt my knee and be like, Oh, Thoth, heal my fucking knee. What I actually say is Jesus Christ, because that's what I was raised in. I, I, Mm. I, I, I say God and Jesus a lot, but the, uh, the, the male role models that I had when I was growing up, that's how they swore because they were Catholics. So there's no, I don't think we can cherry pick these things. I think there's a problem that we face in our age. There are many problems that we face in our age, but one of them is, um, you know, we've said this here before, you can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. You can't choose a God. No, I don't, I don't think you can really choose a God. Hmm. You just indoctrinated it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I would, I would say so. In in my opinion, uh, especially after the psychedelics, um, I, in my what pre-adolescence, adolescence, I was hanging out at the magic shop a lot, and I hung out with this uh, older mentor-like figure who basically taught me the ways of atheism because he was a major skeptic. So I was kind of that pretentious, arrogant, God doesn't do this. You look at it behaviorally. It doesn't really make sense. But then after the whole psychedelic experiences, uh, what it's taught me is at least a higher power is almost inevitable. And the way that I would look at it is the literal new age pseudo buzzword the universe Mm. because for example gravity would be considered a higher power you can't deny that it controls every essence of our life and it's above Mm. us it's outside of us and then it becomes us but Mm. there are a lot of these external circumstances i believe like the universe itself that's outside of our own subjective power Mm. would you consider that perhaps being a concept of god um if i if i play devil's advocate i would adopt nietzsche's position on this because he wrote on it quite extensively and he was very bothered by the way the christian church compared to islam he said that um comparing islam and christianity he said muslims still have a red-blooded manly faith where christians he saw as anemic and what you've just said sounds rather anemic to me it's like it's conceptual gravity is an element of god and ugh, like I'm not going to kill somebody because of that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick up arms and stove somebody's head in because gravity is a concept of God. I'm not saying that you should stove somebody's head in for it to be religion, but that's what we have been doing for since the beginning of recorded history. And I'm sure long before that, if my God says it's time for your people to die, (laughs) there's going to be war. (laughs) Right. So, are you implying that perhaps for a truly religious God to exist, that has to have that influence that's almost inevitable, like a, a kind of an overwhelming influence on our behaviors? It needs to, yeah. I mean, so if we, you mentioned the new age and I would say like Alcoholics Anonymous, you have to submit to a higher higher power. That's not, that's not God. That's never been in human history. These are, that's not, I mean, strictly speaking, we've discussed Buddhism many times before. And I think strictly speaking, there's a very strong case for saying that Buddhism isn't a religion because there is no God. Buddha's not, 
Buddha in certain sects, like if you look at the Tibetan interpretation and the Nepalese interpretation, Buddha has a kind of a godlike position, but he's not a god. So it's actually you could argue it's not effectively a religion. So we'd be we'd be mealing mealy mouthing it. You know, even if you have a very um non-significant god, like I was reading about a serial a serial killer today, he's being tried in court in America, and he believed in uh what's the god called? Seth. Seth, S-E-P-H, and he said, which is the snake god of chaos from Egypt. I've never fucking heard of him before. Never, never heard of the snake god of chaos, but he's the one who opposes. He's the opponent of the sun god. So the sun god sees and presents order, which is called Ma'at, M-A accent A-T. And then Seth uh, brings chaos into the world. We can see how the Christians stole this. Well, not the Christians, the Jews stole this for the uh, the the Old Testament story of the snake in the Garden of Eden. It's uh, it's actually from Egypt. This was the god of chaos that came in. Um, and I was thinking, well, I've in all the years of studying Egyptology, I've ne never heard of him. So he's like a lesser god. But if you naively believe, naively, that he has power, then he is a god, even if he's a lesser god, even if he's not massively important, which he wasn't in the Egyptian um, cosmology, because in their view, evil is that which you did not do in order to individuate. So it's like a, it's not good and evil equal. It's evil is like a, a sideline thing that you kind of forgot to do. This is the things you didn't, the, the unconscious, if you like, you've fallen into the unconscious, into chaos. So even, so even if it's a little god, it's still uh, godlike okay so that, i mean that basically almost proves the the essence of that the concept of that show where these gods basically only really exist and have influence with our subjective human beliefs that give them power sorry somebody's just corrected me i, I wasn't saying seth i was saying seth but it's actually apophis or apep as the uh, snake god of of chaos um Sorry, sorry, Pierre, what, what did you say? So uh, it basically proves the concept of the show that you're speaking of, where these gods basically only possess any sort of power if it were our subjective beliefs that were imposed upon them. Yeah, I think, I think if you're not terrified uh, and dominated and uh, really worried like about what the gods and the goddesses are doing, it, it's not really, I don't think it can exist as a vague philosophical concept that's optional. And be considered a god or a goddess. What if, though, because the grand essence of our reality is already so outside of our own human understanding that that concept of a god is supposed to be vague and ambiguous? Well, this is, you know, when you talk about like human evolution and the Enlightenment period, when Nietzsche said God is dead, he was saying our own human progress has killed God. Our enlightenment itself has, has made man higher than God. That was Nietzsche's lament. He was like, this is not good. This is not going to go to a good place. Um, and I think, I think that's what we have. We've probably had this for a century or so. Even the Christians of the last hundred years, the Christians after World War I could not have been the same as the Christians of 300 years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. You remember it's only three or four hundred years ago in in my country people were torturing each other to death because they were reading christian doctrine in the wrong language or reading from the wrong bible 
They massacred each other. Brits were murdering each other. It was a, a scandal that my grandparents got married because uh, she was a Welsh Protestant and, and he was an Irish Catholic nowadays. And, and so the point of me saying that is like our vigor, our rigor is slowly being drained out. We've kind of gone, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas 500 years ago, it was probably, no, God, yeah, God spoke to me, man, for real. Like he really fucking, and there would be much more emotional intensity uh, in, in, in that belief. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, this is something that I can definitely latch on to. I, like, what I do believe is that human beings for, I mean, the longest period of time and still today actually need that uh, metaphysical pull towards something outside of flesh and blood, whatever that might be. And God and religion was that for every culture in the world, practically, it, every aspect of our lives and behaviors were dictated through a inherent intense emotional attachment and integration with a metaphysical essence outside of ourselves mm -hmm. and now like you said that idea of that god is gone to the point where we don't have a pull towards anything outside of ourselves which means we're just naked mud wrestling for no reason and no prize yeah which is which is awful, really, because if you don't have. So if if culture becomes enlightened, but the people don't become enlightened commensurate with that progress. So you have like enlightened elites, philosopher kings, but the peasantry is still naked mod wrestling. <laughs> That's what you have today. It's 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 a real mess. So if you're of a certain IQ, you can be like, well, no, there isn't a God watching me. Um, why should I not rape and murder? Because God is watching me. Okay, God is not, there is no God watching me. I'm still not going to rape and murder. But why? Why not? Well, because I have other reasons to not do rape and murder other than that like a really angry Jewish God is going to fucking send me to a torture chamber for eternity. You know, there are, there are other strong reasons. Yeah, I think, I mean, I would say we live in a still a pretty civilized world where we just have those inherent you know, moral templates like to not rape and murder and do things like that. But the biggest problem is that it's eradicated the uh, inherent implementation of a purpose and the sense of belonging, which in the end is almost, it's not more detrimental, but it's definitely really spiritually detrimental. Like it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the, as terrible as rape and murder physically, but we've kind of destroyed our inherent spiritual understanding of the world and having any type of purpose that was that was handed down from generations to generations through religion and God. Mm. Well, which is which is an interesting point because it makes me think. Well, what's essential here? What can we not do without? Can we do without God? Yeah. Can we do without um, a spiritual or, or religious explanation of the world? Yes. What we can't do without is the binding narrative if we want to remain cohesive as a culture, which we clearly aren't. I mean, America goes first, as always, and it is ready to pull itself apart by the seams right now. I mean, we're all waiting for it. If, mm -hmm. if a civil war broke out now, who would be surprised? I mean, but that's 2020 for you. Like, we can say that with a straight face, with no irony whatsoever. Like, we could be on the verge of civil war in one of 
ostensibly one of the most wealthy and, and developed countries in the world because the binding cohesive narrative has completely fallen apart now. Yeah, it's obliterated. And as you were saying that, I was thinking of another point. Say if the Civil War or the whole infrastructure of a, the, one of the biggest, most powerful countries in the world just shatter as well as the rest of the world. Say if we get through that, right? And we try our best to build that new world that could possibly be utopian. But a utopia without a metaphysical higher purpose is what? Straight collective hedonism for how long? And we know how that ends up, right? I don't I, see. No, um, I hear you. I hear you. But if we were going to start again from scratch, um, actually, the, 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 the hardcore naked mod wrestling hedonism that we have right now um, is actually not from choice. I don't believe it's from choice. I think it's actually a manifestation of intense stress. We're very, very stressed out. So in the utopia, you would say, look, um, we have enough food for everybody, which we do. Uh, we can't stop you from dying and we can't stop you from getting sick and you will get toothache and whatever else, but we have medical care for everyone. We're going to diminish your suffering. We're going to keep you fed. We're going to keep you sheltered. There is no inherent meaning to life, but we have each other and we are here. And if we're kind to each other and we seek to live a, a sane, healthy, gratifying life, there's music, there's art, there's poetry, there's sport, there's, there's things we can do that, that we really get pleasure from that's not rampant hedonism. Hedonism, the, the, what, what you're talking about right now, I would say has as much pain in it built into it as it does as it does pleasure. And I don't think that's where the, the utopia could be something more than that. Um, but it would be based on saying, no, there is no, you don't have to be nice to be here, but we have rules. And if you start being a cunt, we'll kick you out. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the thing is, like, somebody in the comments is saying collective hedonism is my utopia. That's completely false because I don't think what I strive for is just straight earthly pleasures for the rest of my life. Because I mean, even if, even if you do experience that, we've talked about this multiple times, you eat cheeseburgers every single day, it ends up tasting like cardboard. You know, you end up flipping every single day. It's just as special as you putting your hand on your forehead, you lose that sense. And I'm thinking here, it's like, Okay, if you if you get rid of the apparent God, whatever uh, metaphysical understanding of the world, the 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 outside transcendent purpose of all of us, what is there left in terms of trying to progress to something? If you got rid of that and you tried to live in a tried to progress into a better world, it ends up being some sort of perhaps hedonistic type of environment, no? I think, I think if you, like, if, if, if it is a utopia, which means we're so lost in our ideology now that we can't even see how brainwashed we are. Even our capacity to think about these things is extremely damaged by the brainwashing and the conditioning we've already been subjected to. But remember, in this utopia, if it is a utopia, Children would have been meditating and doing yoga since they were five. Mm -hmm. So you'll have people who are very grounded, who are very sane. They would have been taught every school of philosophy from the age of 12. Their critical thinking would be through the roof. Everybody's um, collectively 
you can't change people's IQ, but you can, well, you know, well, there is some research that indicates you may be able to push it up by a couple of points, but collectively everybody would be acting at their best. So the, let's say the collective IQ isn't changed in genetics, but people are just behaving more rationally and more intelligently. I don't think people would choose what we're, what we're calling hedonism now is an effort to escape hell. We're in hell and we're trying to obliterate ourselves. We're trying to um, knock out our critical faculties so that we don't feel the pain of this purposeless existence. And you could say to people, well, if you're sane and you're rational and you feel okay, you're emotionally regulated, very few kids are being beaten, very few kids are being raped because we've now got generations of utopia. Why? who's beating the kids like why would you fucking beat there's no reason there's no stress or trauma that would cause you to do that at what point would people start saying okay let's make cocaine let's make alcohol let's get fucked up what for what that's an escape what are you what are you trying to escape where are you where are you going to go <laughs> sure sure no i see what you're saying in my head it's like okay say if every every kid started going that yoga meditational peaceful route if we were to even push that state of the world of pure peace for even just 10 years, and there is no metaphysical belief in the transcendent, is it just peace for the sake of peace as if nothing is really ever occurring on earth? And do we, you know what I mean? So like, if we were to try to implement that belief, first of all, we would need something as powerful as a God or religion to get everybody to collectively like meditate or something like that. Well, we, we did say in the utopia and of course, yeah, yeah. utopia is a word that means nowhere. So we're basically saying in a world that would never exist. Yeah. Right. right. So it's a, it's a de facto utopia. How do we get from here to the utopia? My God, I, I don't yeah. know. There would need to be a real catastrophe, really really in, catastrophic situation in my head say if that utopia does happen where everybody is meditation meditation mm -hmm. or whatever the hell and there wasn't that transcendent belief in the beyond i i think that it would fragment really quick just because it would be just peace for the sake of third dimensional peace as if nothing was occurring on earth only because there is no god or religion past us mm -hmm. however if there was that type of peace with the belief of something beyond ourselves, perhaps that could sustain itself. You I know what more, I mean? I, I, even, even as the dreadful misanthrope that I am, the human hater that I am, I still have a little more faith in humanity than that. I do think that people, if they try, if they were raised in it, uh, would accept peace for peace's sake. It would be like saying, do you want to have your hand hit with a hammer or do you want to sit still and not have your hand hit with the hammer? Most people will say, let's sit still and not hit the hand with the hammer. And then you would say, what, for its own sake? Yeah, for its for its own sake. You know, like Thich Nhat Hanh said about the toothache, enjoy okay. not having the toothache. Mm -hmm. But it's an experiential shift. This is the thing with meditation is because how do you get people to meditate? What are we going to do? We're going to sit still. What happens? Nothing. Why do we do that? No reason. What's well, the shittest sales pitch in the world? Mm. But I actually started making myself meditate again recently. And I was like, oh, there is a dogma here. It's silence. Silence is the dogma. And why do you sit to listen? What are you listening to? Nothing. Nothing. But so if I say that to you, you'd be like, I'm fucking, that sounds like bullshit. 
because there's nothing there. But if you do it and you experience it, you go, oh, it's quite pleasant, this actually. Mm, okay. I, I see what you're, you're saying. I think at this point, it's just a sub, uh, subjective value contrast, in my opinion, because I think the, the whole purpose or the, the fun of life is the fact that there is that friction, some sort of back and forth between things. And when I do see you know, the types of people that would meditate on a mountain for years or months and stuff. It, it doesn't fit with what I would consider what our purpose is, in my no, opinion. Human. Because if, because like, if you're from this culture and you choose that, you probably end yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like, if it works for them, that's great. And actually, the world would be much better if more people did that as well. But the, from what I see from at the bottom of the mountain, call me unenlightened and just a third dimensional spoiled entitled millennial but it's like it's almost as if you're not even enjoying the the time period of being a human being right now and obviously there's a lot of negatives from where i'm coming from as well but i mean maybe it is better to do it to do that and maybe i'll end up doing that one day i'm not sure yeah i i think um it's one of those things that like through the years with time and with suffering with pain, you get to that place. You're like, yeah, oh, okay. Oh, okay. You get your fingers burned. You're in the cycle of, um, fuck. What's the cycle called, folks? Is it Samsara? Where you're just like, you're in this karmic cycle. Yeah. You get into the relationship. You get the addiction. You do the thing. You become famous. You get addicted to heroin. You drop off. You know, you get, you're round and round and round. And you're just like, damn, there's nothing there. There's no, there's no, this is, this is what Duncan Trussell was talking about in the Midnight Gospel when he said that his Buddhist teacher said to him, there's no hope. There's no, there's nothing in Maya. There's nothing in the world of illusion. There's no hope here. There's no fucking hope in this world. But when you're young, you should hope and you should, you should get your scars. You should get your addictions. You should bump up against these things, I think, based on the culture where we are right now, so that you get to the point where you go, okay, enough, enough of that. That yeah, I will agree with that for sure. And I think that is the reasoning for the apparent suffering that's inherent in the human experience. So what I was thinking is like, okay, there isn't a God, no, necessarily that that much religion or God in the general collective culture. I mean, obviously there's still a lot, but mm -hmm. I think the way that be, we behave says otherwise. However, there is um, substitutes for this transcendental purpose and oftentimes that manifests as a form of suffering so a lot of people especially nowadays that's where that whole sjw stuff comes from and i don't know it doesn't matter what political party it is it's everybody is looking at something that's apparently terrible for our collective species you know mm -hmm. i mean trafficking human trafficking that's a great one that everybody can relate to right so mm -hmm. then everybody gets that transcendental purpose substituted in their lives because they see a sense of suffering from elsewhere. And I think that's the closest thing to a, not God necessarily, but a transcendent pole. And that's the only thing in our third dimensional earthly human collective consciousness that is behaving as if there was a God. That's interesting. Um, this would be an idea like, um, Jesus, my brain's just on a fart. There's something beyond archetypes. Um, 
let's call it an archetype, a morphogenetic field. So you say, okay, uh, if you think of like magnets under a table and it says Pierre, and then we throw iron filings onto the table and then it's going to spell all the iron filings will go to where the magnets are like a morphogenetic field. It causes things to come into being. So in this, that what you put forward, the morphogenetic field for humanity is we must have a church. We must have an orthodoxy. We must have a God. We must have sin. We must have redemption. We must have witch trials, all of it. And if we take away the Catholic one, well, we'll just create a fucking new one. We'll have the communist one. We'll have the SJW version, which is, um, I think is something that needs to be explored deeply. Like, do we, do we need this shit? Is our God suffering now? Is that why we're so pulled towards negativity? Because that is that transcendental magnet that's allowing us to think collectively and actually try to make any sort of progress? Is our God suffering? I don't know. But I can say with some degree of confidence, there's no such thing as a religion that doesn't try to deal with suffering. All religions are point at suffering. They have to because... They're trying to provide answers. Well, where do our questions come from? Our questions come from the fact that we suffer. So maybe we've made a mistake here, and maybe we do mistake uh, suffering for for godliness or religion itself. Um, it's an interesting question. Did you say, is our God suffering because everybody is focused on where the suffering is? Let me, yeah, let me let me clarify that even more. Is our God the intention or the attempt to eradicate suffering but suffering is the target that is pulling our movement and action yes all right we, figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> we did it guys i'm convinced by that I, I i find that convincing yeah i think that um i mean working with psychological issues all day every day i can say that nothing compares in compelling the human mind like suffering we're obsessed hmm. the human mind is obsessed with pain obsessed with suffering because you know evolutionary biology evolutionary psychology gives us the answers to that that's a survival drive you it's good to know where the cherry tree is it's more important to know where the tiger is Oh, I love that metaphor. That's great. Man. Yeah, that's pretty zen. Wow. This fate. Yeah. Oh, you made that up? Yeah, I just made it up. Oh, fuck. Write that down, dog. That shit's good. This is a new vape juice in this. I think the nicotine content is higher, and I haven't eaten much today, so I'm a little bit I'm a little bit zoned out. So that now was you good. Know why. Now you know why I do it so much. I'm in another plane half of the time. Um, people in the comments are asking, why am I vaping? Um, I used to be a smoker, and I gave up, and then I started again in the middle of a fucking global pandemic that predominantly attacks people's lungs. <laughs> there Hello, is no Dr. Freud. Dr. Freud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the death drive. <laughs> yes. So, okay, yeah. Back to the suffering thing. Obviously, you have a lot of people. I would say at least even half of, no, maybe not half. A good lot of people that just inherently love the suffering. Their actual uh, BD, what's the... BDSM, mas uh, BDSM. It's a masochism. No, or whatever. Doesn't Sado fucking matter. Masochism. 
the the people who like the actual pain. You'll see a lot yeah, of those behaviors. The, the masochists like the pain. The sadists deliver the pain. I think it might be the opposite. No. no okay. No. Whatever. Okay. This Mar Marquis de Sade is the one. Is is was sadism is named for that, and I think it's Lord Massoc who was named for the masochists. Okay. So there are obviously people who enjoy the pain and can't get rid of it that's why you see those uh behavioral cycles that just consistently put themselves in situations that hurt them over and over and over again which means that they literally their literal god that's controlling their behaviors is an external metaphysical force and that's suffering it's a magnet towards these types of people but even to the people that want to get out of it to transcend that they are trying to either eradicate or leave the cycle of suffering therefore suffering is still a magnet to these individuals as well as well so suffering seems to be a key component in terms of the closest thing to a transcendental drive of ours could you could you say that again a different way oh fuck i don't even know i can repeat that what the whole thing or like yeah or the the thrust of your point if you could just rephrase it okay okay you either have people that love the pain and they just find themselves putting themselves in it, or you have people that are trying to get outside of the pain mm. and eliminate it. Mm. On both circumstances, suffering is the main target and the main key component that influences both parties' behaviors. Mm. The transcendental force that yeah. drives these two types of people and the ones in between to do whatever they need to do. Right. So you're making, you're making the Buddha's point and it's, it's, it's often missed because it's reduced to the dogma of the dictum, all life is suffering. So people hear that in English and they think, so Buddha said, life is shitty. I think the, I, I don't speak Sanskrit, <laughs> but I think if we decode it, what we would find is the statement is more like, all that which is consciousness and all that which is in life and is interacting in the multiple layers and hierarchies of life knows what suffering is. Consciousness itself is rooted in suffering because we have to have a contrast to that which is not. When you sleep, you are not aware that you're awake. When you wake up into consciousness or you are born, yeah, your back hurts, your fucking eyes feel gammy, you know, you're immediately, you go, oh, I'm awake now. How do you know, fuckface? Because I'm yeah. in pain. <laughs> right. So then, the, there's that, the, the, the same point that you, that you just made, I think is actually the Buddhist point, which is suffering is the driving factor. There's the, the driving factor for consciousness. Mm -hmm. Why should a snake hunt? Why should a bird fly? Because you'll fucking starve if you don't. And it hurts. It hurts to be alive. It hurts to starve. So keep moving, keep tweeting, keep slithering, keep everything is movement and noise. The insects, the snakes, the fucking el uh, elks, they're all doing it because they're trying to reduce their suffering. And then they die. <laughs> and then they die. And the suffering cycle continues for generations and generations until the earth explodes. Anyways, so. <laughs> Because, so like a lot of these religious, not religious doctrines necessarily, but religious um, templates generally claim that, you know, love is the ultimate uh, God or the ultimate driving force of humans or the transcendental goal of everything is love. But do people really behave 
for the idea of love or grasping love or trying to deliver it or trying to receive it? Or are they trying to lean towards love because they are tired of suffering? It's probably both. But I think suffering is a key component why anybody would even start driving themselves to find that concept of love or, or whatever it might be. I um, I think if we were going to create a religion, you would have to have as one of the key tenets, uh, principal tenets would be something, something suffering. And then your second tenet should be something, something love. Um, again, back back meditating. And I was like, um, I was doing a meditation. Most of my meditations, they're, they're Eastern, the Buddhist, Zen, Zen tradition. And I was thinking about uh, chanting. And uh, when I was growing up, the phrase God is love was written in, in a lot of the churches. It would be in the stained glass or it would be over the door. And I thought that's, um, that's really clever, you know, to hijack and take love. And so where, what's love? Well, that's God. And if you want love, you come to God's house. And where do you get married? In God's house. Where do you have sex? Only um, under the sanctity of God's love. It's God. You love God first and the priest will bless you. Then you can go home and you can start rotting like angry monkeys. So you do need for a religion to function. You do need to address suffering. And then you must try and claim to have some kind of a... Um, uh you know a, a, a sort of a a tyranny on on love itself um but as to whether people um act as though they are loving or are moving towards love then you would have to sort of say okay what are we talking about when we're talking love what are we really talking about most of their behavior you're right is guided by suffering not by a drive towards love or finding love i don't think so right right and you know, I mean, you obviously hear in a lot of new age philosophies that love powers everything and we, you know, we should aim towards that. But oftentimes people only behave to escape suffering and they want love or just try to find substitutes for it because they're suffering so much. So in this world uh, of the naked mud wrestling uh, utopia, uh, hedonism, that's an effort to reduce suffering. The utopia I was talking about would probably be People being focused on love, but not neurotically, love with a little L, the love of sitting still, the love of breathing, the love of watching nature, the love of music, the love of what your interests are. Yes, you can love people, but don't love them like a fucking lunatic because that involves suffering. If you love somebody in this lunatic way, the we're told is romantic, we're told is right, we're told is passion. Um, it's not a good, and this is not a new idea. The Buddhists had this, but the Christians had it as well. They were like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be um, crazy for somebody. You shouldn't be crazy in, and lustful and animalistic and possessive over one person. That's attachment. You're now overattached and you will suffer if you're overattached to a human being because human beings are always going to do what human beings do. They're going to leave. They're going to be with somebody else. They're going to, move or, or whatever they're going to do, which of course creates suffering. So I would be saying, okay, in the utopia, we have love, but we're going to calm the fuck down. <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to treat this in a sane way. We're going to be rational about this. We're going to distinguish between lust, love, attachment, and all of the, the full spectrum, the full kaleidoscope of how, of how love uh, could manifest. Once you've broken down the kaleidoscope, 
yes, you know, life is is love. It's uh, to use the dry psychoanalytic language, life is attachment. Life is we are attachment machines. We attach to everything. Um, but yeah, you could say life is love. Life is suffering. Life is love. Yeah, I think uh, those type of passionate relationships that are also unforgettable and. You always have somebody in your past that makes you reflect on those times that end up burning out quite violently. And I think the reason why those things don't work out is because that apparent illusion, I want to say illusion of love, because it is real in the midst of it, but that type of love is deeply rooted in a giant, rusty, pus-filled, bacterial-infected anchor that weighs that feeling of love where... You're loving from a place of suffering. Therefore, it's going to end up like burning itself out in one way or another. Yeah, which again, you're making um, you're making Buddhist points, which is if the if the root seed of any project, whether it's a relationship or anything, is is even has a little bit of darkness in it, a little tiny shred of shadow in it, the karma that it that you will reap down the road will be huge. So if I love you, but I also, there is this like passion, there is this possession, there is this darkness there that will grow in time. You know, naturally it, it, the further down the road you get, the bigger and bigger it becomes. And it's, it's that whole side of our lives right now is a real mess. Most people are predominantly suffering because of love. Do you think it's possible to love like that without that slight little fingerprint of suffering? Uh, you're talking about that kind of passionate, obsessive love. Uh, well, in general, like you're, you're saying that if if you love in the way that you were saying, uh, mm -hmm. and there's even a little bit of shadow, it can end up karmically come back. But is there a yeah. way to love in that approach, no matter what the situation is, without that? No. Yeah. Okay. No. No. It's it's doomed. It's it's completely doomed. And until we grow past the idea that, like, that's what real love is, we will continue to suffer. But we're like little robots, the little, uh, the, the, you know, the old ones from, like, 80 years ago, the little wind-up soldiers. It just goes in a straight line and it bangs against the wall and it goes, you know, okay, keep doing the same fucking thing and let me know, let me know how you get on as the scar tissue builds up over the years. If you insist that that is what you want, Who's going to stop you? You're an adult, you know, keep going. There are, I've, I've worked with uh, clients who are in their sixties and seventies who are still completely addicted to that kind of, of love mm. that, which is, it's not really love. It's, it's, um, it's an act. It's like a psychodrama acted out by two people with really serious attachment trauma. It's, and they call it love. And they're like, why is the sex so passionate? Why is it, you know, if it's not love, why do I think about them all the time? I'm like, because you're mentally ill. <laughs> why, why is the sex so passionate? Because you want to murder your dad if you really want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a that's a way to put it, man. Like, you never got over the fact that you're really fucking angry with your dad. And that's and so. That that emotion, that suffering, is is playing out again and again. You can call it love if you want to. Who who am I to stop you? Who's anybody to stop you? You know, though, it, it, it's. I think you do actually have a really good point there because when you are becoming healthier, you don't really start needing. 
that type of relationship. Even in, in my life right now, I just I am more comfortable and okay and loving to my current situation and existence that I really don't feel that incessant drive to flip my brains out because I want to murder my family, you know? Yeah, exactly. And because you you hate America and you're you're angry with the people you grew up with and right. you know, there's like ethnic elements to it and you know, which as there was for me, you know, you know, no hypocrisy here. I left white women behind for 10 years. I was like, fuck you, Caucasian bitches, you know. And, and, and well, you know, why? Because I'm I was angry with my mother and I was angry with things that and it was pain. I was in pain. I was traumatized and I was like, okay, well it, and and you looking back, you think, well, that's a bit of an infantile response. I don't think the distinguishing factor was how pale they were, but yeah, but right. you're not you're not rational. You're not in your rational mind when you make these uh, choices. But what you've just said is you've gone from applying love, as in the full spectrum kaleidoscope of love, to women and to sex and to worshiping at the altar of eros, and you've pulled it back in and you've gone. You've put it back in your pants. <laughs> uh, you've gone, there's music, there's work, there's psychology, philosophy, there's uh, the people you're interacting with. You're attached to all these people. And so you take this libidinous energy that you have and you apply it to other things and you go, well, how does this feel? Do I feel saner? Am I crying less? <laughs> it's a good indication. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Seriously, though, because like, now that I've escaped that that cycle, God damn, am I getting a different perspective of how I was living just a few years ago, fucking even yeah. a year ago. I was on the hamster wheel. It was yeah. like this incessant anxious chase towards this other physical rendezvous for whatever fucking reason. It is the reason is I was traumatized and suffering. Yeah. And, yeah, and but, now I don't feel like I'm on the hamster wheel necessarily, but I don't mm -hmm. feel that same desire rooted in suffering so maybe what you've I'm, I'm just looking for my charger maybe what you've gone through individually society needs to go through collectively where we say okay you can keep doing it like you're a free man you're in prague you could why not you could just keep doing it but you don't want to so when you've suffered enough <laughs> as i was saying before you just go this ain't working for me this is not this should be fun on paper. This should be fun, but in actuality, this is misery inducing. Right, right. So then, come to my meditation utopia. Yeah, right. I was gonna. I was, I was actually gonna ask you a question about that. So, would you say like how monks live? Would that be a utopia in your eyes? Monks. Monks, oh, let me let me just let me just plug this shit in. There is a problem with monks, and there's always been a problem with monks. Um, what what you did, um, and to a degree, what I did is a, a compensatory gesture, and it's rooted in trauma, as you said. So there's a wound. So you let's say real simple. You're wounded by women. You're wounded by a mother. You're wounded by by women as you grow up. So you want to dominate women and the context in which the wounding took place is in dating and seduction. You were made to feel invisible. You're made to feel rejected. I'll show you. I'm going to fuck a bunch of you now. Yeah. Look what I did. It's a compensatory gesture. 
and in its essence it's it's externalized which means it's narcissistic monks as well i'm suspicious because it to me it's also a compensatory gesture very very good point very good monks leave life they leave they go well fuck it i'll go and live with a bunch of men in a monastery i'll go and you know what is it get thee to a nunnery you know he says to the girl of his of his dreams ophelia um because he's frustrated with her and he's saying it's 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 actually an act of aggression i'll leave you you disappoint i'm leaving the party now well okay you can um is that an answer it's an answer it's an answer and I, i think everybody should do it for a period of time in some form or other you should leave you should leave you should be doing if your day is meditation cook rice sweep temple steps you do 30 days of that you're going to be a lot saner and calmer at the end you're also going to be bored out of your fucking brains but that's not the worst thing in the world many of us are trapped in cycles of emotional dysregulation and addiction that would be sorted by fasting really clean diets really a clean mental diet a clean emotional diet there's no stimulation there there's just a bunch of ugly dudes with shaved heads and birdsong guess what birdsong suddenly is really sweet now mm. the sound of the wind in the trees this boiled rice is delicious because i'm fucking starving we've spoken about this before we can either increase our capacity to satiate our appetites which is what the material world tells us to do or we can decrease our fucking appetites you're mm. just as happy you're just as happy <laughs> when the bowl of rice satisfies you you're probably living the right way or it shouldn't be like that all the time because i do think i do think you have a point which is get out there and live and take risks and get your scars get bumped up but balance you know let's have balance in in these things you know the, the option should be there to check out well that's a great point I, i was actually just like leaving the bathroom and i had a thought just like a really and i was thinking about like how you know these certain types of people and perhaps like the the new age hippie types guy or girl doesn't matter it they end up adopting that life from that same uh positioning at that monk where'd you go richard i have to plug in darlings all right so but they come from uh adopting that lifestyle from a similar situation for what the monks would do which is kind of like dropping out of the game like i don't yeah. want to play the game i don't want to try to make money so i'm going to go ahead and live this bohemian lifestyle free of responsibility when actually the weirdest thing happens because it's 10 times more responsibility to try to figure out how to live in a bohemian sense you need to look at figure out where to get the food you don't have any money you got to figure out how to get by in this sense and then it's actually more responsibility and even more discipline at times but it comes back around in a way where responsibility and discipline ends up making people feeling a bit happier so they jumped into another pool to escape discipline and responsibility to end up in a life with it in a different medium that makes them happy because there's discipline and responsibility right right but with a different appearance so what they're focused on is the narcissistic shell they'll be like oh but it seems different and it's like well you know um <laughs> i hate mommy and daddy they're a pair of conservative uh, right wing christians they're white american fuck them i don't want that's why i'm going to go and be a bohemian i'm going to go and be crazy oh i got addicted to drugs and then i became a buddhist and i went and lived in a temple in thailand well 
Yeah. So now you're just doing discipline and conservatism, but in orange robes with people who are not from your country. And you're telling yourself you're living an alternative lifestyle. But actually, <laughs> you're right back home, baby. <laughs> Jesus and Buddha are not massively that different. And we go, we go, oh, but it's Thailand, not Omaha. Okay, that's cool. The weather's different and people are speaking a different language. But you want nationalism and right-wingism and racism? Thailand's got it all, baby. You know, Thai, Buddhist, conservatives, they've got it all. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. We can we can end up going back into the house that we tried to leave we're just entering via a different door and we go hi i escaped it's like no not not really <laughs> right and i guess the the key element beneath the surface of all of this is that what provides that apparent feeling of purpose and meaning is first the escape to the adventure to the growth to responsibility and discipline and that seems to be the religious path. Yeah, it's and it's part of our it's part of human mythology, the hero's journey. Um, exactly, that's what I was leaning towards. Yeah, both Buddha and Jesus left society for forty days and forty nights, and they both experienced enlightenment revelations after forty days and forty nights of fasting. Then they went back to civilization. They didn't stay up the mountain. They went and delivered a ministry. They had disciples, both of them, I think, at twelve. Um, and they went back into the world to share what they learned with the world and to try and reduce the screaming not house asylum shit show of intergenerational trauma that human society represents. And perhaps that journey is an element of God itself. <laughs> maybe, maybe we don't need uh, new gods, maybe we can penetrate to the essence of what religion offers us. And we yeah. can have that without believing in um, that which cannot be seen. It doesn't, it wouldn't require any faith. You just say, hey, are you alive? I seem to be. Does your life suck? Yeah, sure. Where's the suck coming from? Oh, I'm addicted to alcohol. I've got bad relationships. My mom did this to me. Okay, same as everybody else then. Would you like that to suck less? Yes, I would. Okay, we have a discipline for you that will make it suck less. It will never take you back to the womb. It will never it will never eradicate the past, but it will make things hurt less. And there, there is some moderate hope, I think, in that. Moderate hope. Yeah, and perhaps the idea of God or the concept of religion are those universalities that allow us to transcend suffering. And mm -hmm. I think the older religions tried to make sense of that through actual external physical beings. And maybe now we have to figure out there are actual universal principles, but how do we integrate that in the world that where God is already dead? Um, it's probably a good thing actually thinking about it, that he's dead because I'm thinking about it in human history. Why was there any need for a God? Why didn't they just say, do this? Life won't hurt as much. Do this because it's actually more enjoyable than anything else. Hmm. No, we want to live in Sodom and Gomorrah and get pissed and shag everybody. And well, yeah, you can do if you want to, 
you can do this, you can do that. Why don't you try both and see which one makes you? <laughs> do you know what I mean? God actually um, is a way of infantilizing people. It's right. like do this or else. Mm. Big daddy, big mum, big mummy's so angry with you. Big mummy, ooh, Carly, she'll fucking come with all their knives and chop. Oh, okay, I'll do as I'm told. It's an infantilizing procedure. You're actually not trusting people. You should just trust people and say, this is and it. I, and I do think that that probably was necessary for the first few centuries of humanity. I mean, we were all still transitioning from apehood. You know what I mean? So I think now we are all kind of leaving the house, leaving mom and dad's house right now when we're seeing the real world in the metaphysical sense. And we realize that, hey, mom and dad might have not been right. I actually don't even need mom and dad right now. I need to go outside of the house and see what I can develop in my own. Mom and dad weren't even real. Like they're just illusory. They didn't even exist. Which, which psycho yeah, psychology and religion has to to progress. Humans have to transcend that moment of going, there isn't really a mummy and daddy. There was only a mummy and daddy when I was a very small baby. Then mummy and daddy became, I don't know, Bob and Sally. Mm -hmm. you know, I realized my mother was a borderline alcoholic and my father was a depressed, and then they're just people. Mm -hmm. We need to leave that, that, um, that house behind. I don't know. I don't have the knowledge to know what Jesus actually said versus the council of Nicaea. He referenced the, his father's house a lot. He said in my father's house, there are many rooms and so on and so forth. But I don't know. I don't know what that meant. I don't know if it's code. I don't know if it's the other people's words being put into his mouth. Um, but you shouldn't be trying to get back into your father's house. Mm -hmm. You should be leaving your father's house. You should be building your own house or not living in a house at all. Right. Yeah. And I think anybody who has left their father's house, mom and father's house, it was fucking hard. It's fucking hard to leave that house. And then after leaving the house to try to individuate as your own person to yeah. develop a life that you want to live without their influence. So many people determine their entire life path because mom and dad and father's house said so. But you'll yeah. never truly find your own personal form of fulfillment if you just follow that. Yeah, which is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on helping people overcome codependency at the moment. And uh, Resonate222 just made a point that we did fine for millennia without these big daddy religions uh, for, for a very, very long time. There is a, an issue here around codependency and group size. Like when you have, there's a big difference between being in a tribe of 150 people, you just fucking make up your own gods. You make up your own language. Well, you don't bother with God. I mean, maybe just leave it alone, but you probably would have your own mystical system, supernatural system. Once you start living together and not moving in groups of 5,000, that's when you have to put in rules like God is always watching. Don't fuck your neighbor's wife. Don't steal his cattle. Don't, you, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. These are people who are desperately scrabbling for laws. They're like, these people keep killing each other. We're all killed. How do we write? Tell them God is always watching. And he has said, don't fuck your neighbor's wife because that creates massive stress. Don't steal his cattle. Don't. It's, um, it's an effort to impose uh, law 
And now, historically, with the weight of history, that's what we think religion is. We think it's an observer God for an arable people trying to stop you from shagging, <laughs> steal each other's shit. But that's that's a God who's responding to where to where humans are up to. Um, because now, yeah. at a certain point in that tribe of 150, all of those laws and principles are almost inherent through the social dynamics. You can't just flip your neighbor's wife because every it's only a hundred people. Everyone's going to know and everyone's going to do what they need to do. You can't just go around, fuck around because it's all already self-regulating almost. It's, it's, it's more than that. I, I really believe this, um, that in tribes of a hundred to 150, there's no neighbor's wife. There's no wife. Hmm. You're, you're, you don't own anything. It's pure, what I Marx see. called primitive com communism. There's, there's like even your kids, they're the tribe's kids. You would die for your tribe's children, even if they didn't direct. You might be more close if they came from your body, but they're the tribe. And so the whole, it, it's impossible for us to know how they saw the world. It's impossible for us to undo our social conditioning and be like, what the fuck? I own? That's just like living in one big family. That's a, that's a big family. That's all that is. It's like a huge a huge Spanish or Italian family, you know, you have the great grandmothers and the grandfather and they all sit together and you can probably fill a room with about 80 or 90 people. So it's a bit bigger than that, but we, I, we I most of us have experienced that. I believe there's a, an actual ac uh, African tribe. I don't know the, the population size of the tribe, mm -hmm. but when somebody does misbehave, what they do is bring that person to a circle and they mm -hmm. just shower them with love and i don't mean that as like an innuendo by any means i'm like i'm into that i want to be in that tribe oh stop i'm sorry i was bad richard you already have <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah like they would just smother the person with hugs telling them like you're a good person you know don't it's and then they would really just the person would end up having a breakdown and they'd be like, I'm so sorry. I did just, I, I didn't know what I was thinking. And that person gets reaccepted to the tribe. And generally it doesn't really happen again because they get that, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, I mean, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to um, glamorize what, what's gone before in human history and say, we're better off in packs of 150. I'm sure there was terrible things uh done throughout human history in, in small tribes. Uh, some will have worked, some will have been kind by our value system of today. Some will have been awful, like oh, fucking horrendous. But um, I think it's important to understand the context. Like you can't, you can't divorce God or goddess from the context. It's like, well, how are these people, you know, we couldn't take on Babylonian gods. We couldn't take on Sumerian gods. We can't take on Egyptian gods. It's not because we don't live in Egypt. We don't, we're not, we're not there. So I, I actually, I feel pretty optimistic about this subject. I think we're okay now without gods and, and goddesses. I don't think we need that anymore. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Um, I am afraid I'm going to have to go. I'm sorry I was late today, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm sorry, sorry, Pierre, I was late. It's okay. I still have, I'm still living in 2077, as you can see here. Uh, everything is a hologram and an interior design is actually optional, as you can see. <laughs> so it's, a, it's an intradimensional space portal that you exist inside of now. Right. And I will be continuing this stream on my channel, Pierre Extra, if you just want to fuck around.
Are you, are you, are you uh, going to start going live right now on Pierre Extra? Uh, in about like 10 or 15 minutes, yeah. All right, cool. Well, folks, you can go and join Pierre on Pierre Extra. I highly recommend that you do. It's let, let me just you, it is nothing intellectually intensive, intensive like what we're talking about right now. It's That's actually what you need. It's complete nonsense. I'm telling this you. Is, this is this is like the stuff that strains your brain, and you go, "Oh, okay, I'll take some of that and I'll use it." And then you go to Pierre Extra, and it's just ah, uh, massage, lemon in the eye, <laughs> vape, vape, vape smoke up your bum. That's pretty much it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Well, it was great seeing you, my friend. I will uh, talk to you soon. Very good, sir. Take care, everybody. Bye.